on this episode of the Photography News Podcast, spectacular sights in Norfolk, starry nights in Devon and clever uses for string. Hello and welcome to the latest Photography News Podcast. This is our 31st. My name is Roger Payne and I'm the Editorial Director at Photography News. And in light of the recent UK petrol crisis, I thought I'd introduce my two colleagues in the order of who was most likely to be queuing for fuel. So, by virtue of his ownership of a thirsty German saloon and a 4x4 car, let's start by saying hello to contributing editor Kingsley Singleton. Hi, Kingsley. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you tonight? (laughs) I'm very good. So, um, you've actually just come back from a long trip to Devon, so I'm assuming... Um, you've left a trail of petrol station queues behind you. <laughs> yeah, it's like a scene from Mad Max down the M5. But you're fully juiced up, no problems. It's actually not. It's absolutely fine. I've not noticed a problem, but that's mainly because my wife's been going out to get the petrol. <laughs> because I can't, be, I can't be trusted not to overheat in a queue. Oh, well, maybe then uh, with your more economical car, the editor of Photography News, Mr. Will Chung. Hi, Will. Hi, chaps. How are we doing? And by pure coincidence, I've just come back from Morrison's and filled up my car. There was no queue. But during the, the teeth of the crisis, I basically I stayed off the road because the queues were so long. Couldn't be bothered. I couldn't be bothered with queue. I'll have Kingsley's problem. I'll probably want to hit somebody. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you managed to collectively, uh, well, in Will's case, stay put. And Kingsley, you managed to uh, travel with ease, it appears. So as you've been on your travels, Kingsley, Maybe you can kick us off by explaining what you've been uh, what you've been shooting since we last got together. Well, yeah, I, I managed to get out in Devon and got some sort of coastal landscapes. But the most notable thing was the fact that I finally managed to use my Star Tracker device. Ah. And for once, um, I don't know whether maybe the curse has been broken because for once I wasn't sort of followed by a typhoon or you know right. a terrible, terrible storm. And so that, explain to us, explain to us, if you could, the, the principle of the Star Tracker and, and, and how you set it up. Is it a device that you attach to your tripod and then put camera on top of or how, how does it work? Yeah, well, the one that I've got, which I think which I think is a Skywatcher one, you attach it to the tripod via the regular screw and then you attach your your sort of bull head to the top of the 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 tracking device and and then basically then you I mean the principle of it is that it it rotates to match the rotation of the stars and that means you get sharp stars over exposures of many minutes instead of having to limit your exposures to about 20 or 30 seconds depending on how wide you're shooting but in terms of actually setting it up and this is one of the things that's actually put me off about it well two things actually but what, what it came with a huge counterweight right which is makes it really heavy so it's like a this counterweight probably weighs like two kilograms or something so you lump the thing around you think, oh christ i can't bother to take this with me but what i realized is actually the kit that i've now got the nikon mirrorless kit actually it's probably light enough to use without this counterweight so you don't need that so you take less stuff so all you take is the tracker itself and the little i can't remember the technical name for it but basically it's like a it's a wedge shaped thing which controls the latitude so you you have to dial in the latitude that you're at. Uh, in Devon, it was like 50 point something. And it's it's like it's very it's kind of imprecise. You know, you've got like a small scale and you kind of you 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 you, you twist a knob until it gets to that point. And then you you know, you, you point the thing roughly at polar north. And again, this is like this is something because what it what it does is it comes with a a polar scope built into the inside of the tracker. So when you get it out of the box, you look through this thing and you think, bloody hell, I can't, you know, what I'm going to have to do is actually align this perfectly with, and it's not even the North Star, it's just slightly off it where actually kind of proper polar north is. But I, I, I watched a couple of videos on YouTube and there was one guy that did a really good video and he was saying, if you're shooting anywhere between like 14 and 24 mil, actually it doesn't really have to be that accurate. You, if, as long as you get it, as long as you get the latitude right and you get it pretty much pointed at, at the north, you, you're you're good to go. You're away. So I'm shocked to hear that you're shooting with between a 14 and a 24 no, yeah. mil. I would have thought surely the 300 would have gone straight on 
and <laughs> well no it's well this is the thing it's it's broken my um it's, perhaps it's broken my addiction to the longer lenses because the longer the lens the more accurate you have to be and also the the technically i suppose unless your alignment with polar north is absolutely perfect you know you still may only be able to use a minutes long exposure or something i mean 300 mil would be quite a lot so i mean i will try that at some point but i was really pleased with it and like in terms of basically dragging it out into a field you know with my i had my kind of red head torch on so that you don't get kind of you know dazzled by the thing and lose your your kind of your, your night vision it, it was it worked fine like I, I did a i did a four minute exposure at f 4.5 and iso 2000 and I got a very clear Milky Way. Excellent. Well, I'm sure yeah. that's an image that you're going to share on the oh, uh, Photography much. News yeah. Instagram feed. So moving on, Will, you said you've been stuck at home for two weeks, but I'm assuming that you've managed to get out either before that or after that to uh, to, to take some images. Yeah, we got away at the weekend and we went up to uh, North Norfolk. We went up to RSPB Snethersham. So we stayed in uh, Sunny Honey, Hamstanton. And uh, we went and did these um, spectaculars. And basically, if you go onto the RSPB website and go to Snethersham, they have the dates of these spectaculars in. So the one we went on was the 9th of October, and also the 10th of October. And basically what happens is, um, well, you park your car up at the crack of dawn. I mean, it was a crazy time for us to get up. We don't normally get up at 5 a.m. in the morning. So we got on site early, very early doors. You walk down to the beach, which is about a mile and a half away from the car park. You join literally hundreds of other people with their binoculars, spotting scopes, very good camera kit. I mean, there are lots of 600mm lenses down there. And you basically wait for the tide to come in. And what happens is, so I'm not a birder, so I'm going to pre-say it, but basically when the tide comes in, it drives all the wading birds off the mud flats, and these birds just take off and they do it in kind of unison, and uh, they're mostly things called knots, and they fly over overhead in their thousands. And it is, as the website says, they're spectacular. And it was amazing. The first day we went, the weather was very poor. It was grey. We were slightly late um, because it was at 6.15 high tide. And we were maybe about five minutes late. So we saw the spectacular from afar. On the Sunday, we got there on time because the tide was later anyway. And we had a sunrise. And it was, it was wonderful. And I had a, a camera with a long telephoto lens to photograph patterns of birds in the sky. And I also had a, my medium format camera there to try and do some uh, more scenic interpretations of the scene. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I mean, I've been, apart from that, I've been doing dragonflies only because it's coming towards the end of um, the season, of course. So I've been out making the most of dragonflies locally, and that's because I haven't been driving much. But yeah, Rog, just to answer your question in a, in a short way. Yeah, Snettisham, RSPB, recommend it if anybody's going and thinking of going. The next one looking at their website is 8th of November at 6.30 a.m. in the morning. Kingsley. It, it seems I'm I'm going to call into question Will's uh, attraction here to winged <laughs> creatures. He's I think he's letting the side down in terms of, you know, where's all the, the terrestrial creatures being photographed? <laughs> it's like, what, what's wrong? You know, you're a you're a land walker yourself. Well, there's nothing wrong with um, land based creatures. Kingsley, it's just a, the flying birds and flying insects are. Are rather fun and challenging and um to see i have to say i mean i was told there are 80 or ninety thousand birds in the air crossing basically overhead of us and going to the lagoons behind us and it was amazing the noise they make i'm like you can't even describe it but it's a big whooshing sound these birds come flying over i mean i'm not saying by the way my pictures are any good in this instance they were just little, little black dots in the sky <laughs> but I, I did at one point Put the camera down and just thought i'm going to watch this mm. you know, i'm going to, going to appreciate this and it was wonderful fascinating fascinating stuff well for, for my part i've not been uh, i've certainly not been getting up at, at 6 a.m or 5 a.m or whatever ridiculous time it was will but i have been enjoying my early morning dog walks although they don't they don't start till about 7 a.m and as i think i've mentioned to you gentlemen before I've got this little area of woodland, which is only small. It's probably only a few acres, not far from where I am, where um, I'm, I'm taking a lot of pictures. Of, and now that the weather is really starting to change sort of early morning, so I've had some really nice misty mornings, 
we've had the really sort of low sun burning off the mist and that sort of thing. So I've got some nice images of that, which I'm really pleased with, which I do need to process properly. But I've also found myself um, more recently getting into um, uh, suddenly there's been a lot of fungi springing up on the woodland floor. And so I borrowed myself a 60 mil macro lens, uh, a Fujifilm XF 60 mil lens to go on my XE4 and uh, strode out into the woodland to, to start capturing some uh, some fungi. And it's been uh, it's quite it's quite fun capturing fungi. Mm. Um, I haven't been overly successful so far and that's mainly because when you walk somewhere like the same time every day you realize how quickly these things actually appear and then disappear so in in the case of for example i think it's the is it the fly agaric is the really the really bright colored red one with the with the white spots in it which is uh, sort of really poisonous i found a few of those when I've not had my camera with me and then I've sort of gone back a couple of days later and thought, right, I'll get a picture of it. And to find them either they've fallen over or they've completely disappeared altogether or they've been kicked over probably by somebody else. And because I'm walking on the pathways through the woodlands, I suppose the best option would be maybe to go a little bit off piste and go into the woodland a little bit. But then I'm sort of very mindful of the fact that you could start trampling over stuff that really you don't want to be kind of trampling over. And also these fly agarics tend to grow, well, the examples that I've seen anyway, have grown in quite dense um, grasses. So actually getting a clear shot, you know, these sort of these wonderful pictures where you see fungi growing out of tree trunks with lovely, you know, bokeh backgrounds and all that sort of stuff. It's very difficult. And then you sort of start trying to think about gardening and stuff like that. And all this time I've got an impatient dog sitting next to me wondering what on earth is going on. It's um, yeah, it's quite a challenge. I was about to say, I think we know the source of the destroyed, kicked over and bashed up fungus. No, amazingly, he's. I'm quite, quite, I'm quite proud of him. He's my more recent forays out with the camera. He's actually learning just to sit and wait. So he just he just parks himself down. I think as soon as he as I as he sees me pull the camera up to my eye, he's like, "All right, I better sit down for five minutes," which is which is quite helpful. But uh, no, I've never really shot fungi before, and it's uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So how how are you setting up for that? Are you are you kind of? I mean, there's a presumably there's a certain amount of getting down into the undergrowth. There is a bit of getting down into the undergrowth, and obviously because I never go anywhere seemingly very well prepared, and I also largely don't follow Will's words of wisdom. I've not got knee pads, and I've not got bin bags to sit on or lie down on or kneel on. So I tend to go out. I do wear sort of waterproof trousers, which is obviously a benefit. Mm. And yeah, so I I, lit, I literally just ramp the ISO up and just shoot stuff handheld. I'm sure that most fungi photographers who do it properly would probably be gasping at this. And I think the better thing to do is probably to to put it on some kind of support, not necessarily a tripod, but maybe like a bean bag or some other, maybe even a gadget bag would would work as well. But no, I've I've just been sort of getting down low. And then the other thing I I've started taking along with me is a little mini reflector. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of push a little bit of light into the gills of, of the mushrooms, just to kind of even the lighting up. Yeah, it's it's all good fun. Will? Well, just on the uh, reflector, Roger, one tip I was given, I don't know if you have much uh, smoked salmon in your house, but I'm sure you do. But if you buy some smoked salmon from your local supermarket next time, it comes in a, a vacuum-packed wrapper and uh, it's lined with card. Yes. The card is silver or gold. And you get silver on one side and gold in the other. So right. next time you have a smoked sandwich, I'm sure you do often in your household, <laughs> wash the card down afterwards because obviously you don't want to stink out your gadget bag. And you've got a lovely little reflector, which you can use silver or gold, um, to, to bang some light bang to the fungi. And the other option, of course, is to have one of these things, which is an LED light. Yes. This is a... That Will happens to have one. handed This is just coming for review in the magazine. And this one is a very powerful LED light, but you can obviously adjust the color of this and also tone the power down so you don't overpower the the natural lighting because you want to supplement it rather than dominate it but like led light and a piece of card from the smoked salmon from your breakfast table i suggest next time watch right good stuff chap so plenty been going on and uh definitely we're, we're getting into autumn which is obviously really good photographically so Hope you all get out and uh, and do some photography of your own. But Will, I just wanted to touch on before we move on about the latest issue of PN. So issue ninety three, which I think as we speak, we, we has just gone to to press. And there's a very sort of uh, a special event going on in this issue, is there not? Well, Rog, every issue is has a special event going on. Can I just say? 
Um, but before we get to the aforementioned special event, just to say that in the issue, I got my chance to hands on the, the Canon EOS R3. This was, I went to the photography show, which happened in September, which I'm sure many of our readers went to. So I got quite a few nods and a few just stopped me and said hello. But I went there on, on three days, one day for myself and two days for the magazine. Um, and it was rather, I enjoyed it rather. I mean, the Sunday was, I thought, fairly quiet for, for a photography show, but Monday and Tuesday was very busy. Anyway, I, I got 20 minutes to play with the Canon EOS R3. There was pre-production. Canon guy wouldn't let me put a memory card in it or anything like that. But there's a two-page hands-on report from me, which basically says how, how potentially wonderful it is. I mean, it's obviously a camera which is very expensive. It's £5,800 for the body. And it's um, it's got amazing features in it. But this before-mentioned special event, Rog, is the launch of our awards. This is our annual Gear of the Year awards, where we ask readers to vote for their, their favourite products in many categories. So this includes, you know, best SLR camera, best micro four-thirds camera, best professional mirrorless camera, and so on. And we go all the way through to uh, colour management devices in inkjet paper, and we also have a whole raft of service categories. So the, you know, these include best retailer, uh, best insurance provider, best website provider, and so on. So the special event, Roger, yeah, we launched our awards in this issue in 93. We're going to re actually repeat it in 94 because the voting goes on until uh, January next year. The closing date is actually the 5th of January, 2022. So just a flag up to, to listeners. Yes, please vote for your favourite kit. You don't have to vote in every category. Just vote for the categories you feel comfortable with. And um, we are going to have a random draw at the end of the voting. Then they win a case of wine, which is quite a nice little prize, I think. So basically, the, the, the voting mechanism is is online. You'll be able to go to the Photography News website to both read the issue and to vote. And the, the URL for the uh, for Photography News website is photographynews.co.uk. We've also mentioned there about... Um, Putting, putting pictures up onto Instagram. The handle for that is at PhotoNewsPN, which is also the same handle for Twitter and Facebook. Moving forwards, we're going to do a through the keyhole, but for gadget bags. So for anybody who is not familiar with through the keyhole, it was where a chap, what's the name of the presenter? Lloyd Grossman, is it? I'm not sure it is anymore. Basically, you get to see in their house, uh, in, a, in the house of a, a famous person, and then everybody has to guess what it is. Now, we're not quite going to do it like that. But what we thought each one of us would do would just be to run through the contents of our gadget bags. Um, just to give an idea of of what it is that we have in our in our kit bags, both the camera gear, but also the little extra bits and bobs that uh, that we put in. Now, Kingsley, I'm going to jump to you first because you, as you've told us earlier, have just come back from a uh, what sounds like a very uh, a worthwhile photo shoot down in Devon. So you have your gadget bag there. So first of all, maybe you should tell us what gadget bag your gadget bag is. Hang on. Prepared as always. So that this is that's a low pro powder. I'm not sure what the capacity is, but it's an, a low pro powder AW, and it basically it's like a it's one of these bags that's a kind of a cross between a hiking bag and a camera bag, insofar as it's got a a little a sort of a lightweight frame to it, and a couple of well three different sections really. It's got the camera compartment which you can remove. It's got a top section for, you know, other sort of bits and bobs. And then it's like a kind of a cap that goes across the top of the bag. I want to call it like a pelmet or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite a large bag, but it's it's sort of it's light unloaded, which is a which is always a good start because you don't want to be kind of piling stuff into a bag that's already heavy. So, so take us through what is in said bag. So it's a backpack bag. It's it's obviously going to have a lot of your Nikon kit in it. So it's got your Z, it's got your Z7 well, Mark yeah, II. It's, yeah, it's got the kind of Z7 II body. It's got four lenses, including the 70-200 f2.8 and space for sort of all sorts of other bits poked in around them. What are the other bits that you've got in there? So camera and lens is a nice and easy one, but what are the extra bits that, that go in the singleton bag that make photo shoots so enjoyable? Well, I'm not... I'm not saying the, the, these are sort of rules to <laughs> rules to definitely follow. Cause the, the first thing I've pulled out of here is a load of um, a load of stepping rings 
that um, I basically took with me because I couldn't remember the filter sizes of the lenses. So I thought, <laughs> like, well, if I'm going to put any filters on anything, I don't want to leave something behind. I've got a little kind of soft bag with some screw-in filters. And one of the things I do with these, which Will, as if some, some, I've got this weird sensation that Will's about to tell me off, but what I do to, to, to carry my screw filters around is I just screw them all together because they're all the same size. So rather than having some sort of wallet of, you know, different filters and stuff, I just sort of like, you know, um, attach them all together. So there's a set of those and within there, there I think there's a four-stop ND, there's a, a like a ten-stop ND, there's a polarizer, uh, and oh, and another polarizer. Hey, a bag full of polarizers. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a body cap and a back cap, a spare one for for bodies and lenses, which is because partly that's about not fumbling around. Like sometimes it's better to have a little bit more stuff to stop yourself from going into six different pockets just to find something. So like, you know, if you can sometimes double up on stuff. Um, I've got a, a a lens cloth with a, a with a little bottle of cleaning solution for the cleaning of the front element thereof. Two spare batteries, which I always take with me. But actually, are they charged or not? They are charged, yes. Right, okay. <laughs> actually, I mean, speaking of that, it's a slight digression. There's kind of a fallacy, I think, sometimes about, about the fact that mirrorless cameras are kind of a bit rubbish in terms of battery life. They're, they're not as good as DSLRs because they're, you know, they're running two screens instead of one, even one of them's kind of small. And obviously they have things like you know, things in them like IBIS and stuff, which is a little bit more kind of power hungry. But like I shot a I shot an event midweek last week and I didn't change the battery once. And I took like I took 400 pictures on both cameras I was using and I thought that was fine. I took extra batteries to that because I thought I'd be I'd be running out left right and center so in terms um, of in terms of before you move on in terms of battery admin because one of the problems i always have is i have multiple batteries but i can never remember well a i can never remember whether they're charged or not and then b if if i'm sort of if you change a battery mid shoot how do you identify said battery when you get home as to whether it's charged or not um well i i mean i think when you get home it's not well, when you get home, I just stick them in the charger and see right. if they see if okay. they how many lights they're blinking. When I'm out, what I would typically do is do that thing which a lot of people talk about, which is to keep them. I'd keep the live batteries, the spare batteries, in a in a, either a trouser pocket or a jacket pocket, so it's a bit closer to your body, so it keeps them a bit warmer, and it means that they don't. Um, but that also is a slight kind of piece of ordering because it means that those are the ones that are fully charged, and when they're empty, then they go in the bag, and it doesn't matter how cold they get. So why don't camera manufacturers build something into batteries that allows you to see at a glance why whether or not it's got some charge in it? Nah, wouldn't that be sensible? Yeah. Come on, camera manufacturers. <laughs> Mind you, so you I mean it, it would I guess it would have to be it would have to be an elegant design because it, I mean I guess I, I've got some of those sort of Duracell batteries where you're meant to kind of sort of touch like oh, two yeah, bits well, on them and it's meant yeah. to tell you the the charge, isn't it? And it's never very good. So um, so I get moving to the top section of the bag. Actually, one thing I've got in here, which is is sometimes handy, is I tend to take out spare, like spare dividers with me, just in case I want to kind of rejig something up on the fly. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, you'd have to have very small knees, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Why? Why do you take out spare dividers? Um, just in case I, I like if you go out. And something is wobbling around a bit too much. You can pack it in a bit more. And also, like sometimes I, I suppose, you know, this this, this really good bag. This, but if I want to put something in an external pocket that isn't fully protected, then I, I like like say I've got I mean I've got some filters and they're in a case, but I'll still put the filters in with a kind of a foam pad on top of them just in case I, you know, fall down a cliff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, actually, this is a bit of a curveball. I've got I've got a, a little a little Olympus audio recorder, and the reason I've got that is because quite often when I go out, and you're sat somewhere, and it's a bit like Will saying earlier about just sitting and noticing the birds flying over. Sometimes it might make a little audio recording of the sound of a stream or the, you know, ah, oh, what a lovely thing Kingsley's doing in, <laughs> in nature. Right, carry on. I've got two. Well, actually, I've got a torch. Too many. I've got a head torch, which I explained earlier about the night shooting, and I've yeah. got another. I've got a spare torch for more of the, the walking around and you know, blinding pointing at stuff. Yeah, blinding strangers. I've got a battery pack for my phone because the phone is important. You know, not just for updating your 
socials, but for right. telling people you've fallen off a cliff. Uh, as you're falling off the cliff, <laughs> yeah, you could halfway live, down. You could live blog. I've got a long tripod plate here. I don't know why I've got that. That's for something else. Well, out of all the things in your bag, what what would you deem as the most unusual thing? Do you have anything in there do you, that you have for superstitious reasons or not, not really? I mean, I've got like I've got two. I've got a, I've got outdoor clothing. I've got like a kind of a, a body warmer thing and a and a and a pack a mac thing. And I've got filters and I've got. Um, I, I tell you what, I've got I've got a Snickers bar. Right. that is my and that's my i think it's and it's not about survival it's more about the fact that sometimes it's nice when you're sitting and taking a picture to have a bit of food i always take a water bottle with me right a nikon sponsored <laughs> water bottle <Yeah. laughs> for that matter will i'm going to come to you because you're smiling and grinning away while kingsley's reading all this stuff <laughs> well only because there's an awful lot of repetition surprisingly enough i mean it's slightly different in that for instance, my water bottle, he's got a Tottenham Hotspur cocktail yeah, on it. Why isn't yours, Of course, I don't have a cleaning kit and a torch. I don't have a marathon, a marathon bar or a Snickers bar. I have a cereal marathon. bar. You're showing your age there, Will. I know, definitely show my age. And um, I've got wine gums, and they, they are replenished regularly. So I'm trying to think of extra things. On battery, Kingsley mentioned battery. I have got, I don't know if you can see this, I have a Dymo label on my end of my battery, and yeah. it says... Um, two three five, which is the battery type. Number two, right? So in the camera is number one. So I use number one first. When that's dead, I take it out and I put number two in. So if you know with three batteries, it's quite easy to think where well, the progression is: one, two, and three. Simples. That's very so, simple. That's very clever. Yes. So I, if anybody's got a Dymo label machine, um, that's what I do. Um, I have a, a power bank like Kingsley, and I have one of these cables with. Uh, four connections, so it's lightning, uh, USB-C, micro-USB, whatever it is. So it's one of those. I have one of those aforementioned LED lights, because it's this time of year. I have a remote release, which is programmable. So it's one of those you can do use as an interval timer or, or set dial the time you want the shutter to be open for it when you're using B. You can do all sorts of things with it. And another tip from me is, I think you can't see this, I've got a bit of Velcro on the back of that. Right. Because I noticed one thing that many enthusiastic photographers do when they, they're photographing doing big exposures, they have the remote release plugged in, hanging from their camera, and it's waving around in the wind. Right. So what I do is have a bit of Velcro on the back here, and of course I have the other bit, the matching piece on the tripod leg. And so presume there's no danger of, of the thing falling out, working its way out of the socket. Is that is that the reasoning behind that? It's also to stop it banging against a tripod during a two minute two minute long exposure or some uh -huh. such. Because right. if it's windy day, it does. It just, I mean, you're right. Also, I mean, the, you know, there's no uh, stress then on the on the mini socket itself, and of course, mm. wires can go in time as well. So you're taking the pressure off it. But yeah, just it, you know, these little Velcro patches are buy them in John Lewis or Smiths, whatever. Really useful. Very you good. Don't, you don't, you know, you don't have to grip the thing securely. All you want to do is stop it swinging around. So remote release, um, spare camera plates like Kingsley memory cards of course i've also got one of these things now this is this is intriguing thing. now what is this called um actually i don't know what to call it but it's certainly from three-legged thing but right. it's a device with a hex key on it so you can see the hex key which is obviously for using with a tripod plate yep and it's also got a flat head so that's the equivalent of a, of a flathead screwdriver and it's got a hook that you can then Show like you. a carabiner hook on it. Carabiner yeah. hook that you can hook onto your strap of the camera bag. I mean, to describe it to the listeners, will it basically looks like a bit of a fancy bottle opener, doesn't it? Really? Yes, indeed. Bizarrely enough, I bought this in America. I didn't buy this in England. I bought this in Las Vegas when I went to a camera shop in Las Vegas, and I'd won some money. This is no word of a lie. I won some money on a roulette table, and I was going on a photo tour, and I went with some guys on the tour. Went to a camera shop in Las Vegas. And they had these on the counter. So I bought myself a memory device, you know, one of yeah. these things you can download your cards to, and one of these gadgets, and I bought this in Las Vegas. Anyway, really there useful. There we go. And by the way, Rod, just to, I mean, you were talking about fungi earlier. I have also in my camera bag a pair of scissors. A pair of scissors. Because I'm not <laughs> adverse to um, gardening, getting rid of all the weeds. 
And even when I'm doing butterflies, during the summer when I was doing butterflies, you know, to, inevitably there were things in front. And I know it's, it's difficult and it's probably not the thing to do and admit on, on nationwide podcasts. But I actually cut down the strands of grass in front of my lens. Going back to your Allen key thing, it's called the three-legged thing tools, T-O-O-L-Z, which is like, that's, they haven't really pushed the boat out on that one like they normally do, have they? Well, I thought it would be called like Carmen San Diego or something like that. <laughs> well, it's been around for a little while, but certainly Kingsley, you need to get yourself one of these. Yeah. That's fascinating stuff, Will. A oh. couple of a uh, couple of uh, points of uh, oh, hang on, you've got something else out. That's a filter pouch, is it? Yeah, sorry. I, I mean, Kingsley mentioned filters, but I've got a set of case circular magnetic filters, and I prefer these one because they're much, as you can see, much more compact than, than rectangular hundred mil by uh, hundred fifty mil filters. But they they fit onto the lens really, really quickly by magnetism. So you put the adapter ring onto your lens, mm. and the filters. And I've got four here. There's a, a three, six, and ten stop ND and a polarizer. And of course, all they do is click onto the frame. I'm obviously here. I'm, I'm showing the the adapter not on the lens, but that's what mm. how they work. And of course, I know some people will go, well, but I can't use a grad, a graduate filter. And yeah, to a degree, that's true. But sometimes what I do do, if I do want to use a grad and I've got one in the bag, I just hold it in front of the the, the filter I'm using here. Yeah. So it's no, no big deal. But the beauty of this is simply it's just convenience because it is small and it comes in a pouch. So that's a case circular uh, magnetic circular filter set. Wonderful. And and the gadget bag itself, Will, Kingsley obviously told us his low pro gadget bag. Your gadget bag, do you know what it is? Well, to be fair, because I'm often testing bags, I, I do change bags like some people change their underwear. So at the moment, I've got a Vanguard Veo adapter R48 which I'm reviewing for the next issue of Photography News, issue, issue 94. Um, and that's a backpack style. And the, the, the aspect of the adapter is that there's a USB lead in there. So you can collect your, connect your power bank to the USB device and the lead is inside your bag. So you plug that into your phone. So oh. it's an opportunity to charge your, your camera because more and more cameras are USB-C rechargeable. But you can recharge your phone or your, or your camera while it's still in the bag, rather than having you having to hold it. Nice. So that's a new Vanguard adapter of R48 is the one I'm using at the moment. Excellent, excellent. And the camera kit that's in that bag, just to wrap this up in terms um, of what? At, at the moment, I mean, to be fair, I do leap from uh, full frame to medium format. At the moment, it's got a Fujifilm GFX outfit in there, uh, standard zoom, macro lens, and a wide angle. And that's that's really ready for autumn, like I said, with the the LED light, the charger, the plates, the, 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 the smelly fishy silver foil we've talked about already. Um, it's, all, it's all geared up for autumn. Fascinating stuff. Any, anything, any thoughts, Kingsley? You have a right to reply on Will's gadget bag. I, hang on, I didn't realise this was a competition. Um, <laughs> right. Actually, no, the funny thing is you reminded me that I've got a set of Manfrotto magnetic filters like those. And I, I sort of, I kind of got them and then I haven't really used them um but they are i mean they are good they're good they're great aren't they the way they kind of snap on because like anyone who's been like perched over the edge of a of a of a sort of a rock pool or something in you know freezing conditions trying to kind of unscrew an nd filter and then screw it back in again will sort of a test it's like it's it's not the greatest experience and if you can and any kind of any of the kind of vagaries of that you can remove is definitely going to kind of ex improve your experience i think Excellent. Do you want to see what's in my gadget bag? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle through this really quickly. But one thing that is immediately obvious to me is there is a very good reason, as I have now realised, listening to you two gentlemen, there is a very good reason why I am often so often caught short with um, my battery running out on my on my on my cameras. So in my bag, I've got my I've got my XE4 with the 60 mm macro lens on. Um, I've also got an 18 to 55 um, uh, Fujifilm zoom as well. Um, I've got a I've got a battery in the camera, which is kind of it's got two bars left, and then I've also got another battery in a charger. But I've got absolutely no idea whether that's charged or not. Um, <laughs> and then I've got two other batteries for my X100s. No idea whether they're charged, and I don't have my X100s in my gadget bag. So um, I'm in a bit of a I'm in a bit of a pickle there. I've also got my I've talked about this on the last podcast where I've got my 
my lens adapter. This is to adapt my Canon FD lenses, uh, my old Canon FD lenses onto my onto my Fujifilm camera. Um, and then I've got a my Canon 50mm manual focus standard lens, which uh, fits aforementioned with uh, with a with a lens hood. Um, I've got my little I've got my little 27mm um, Fujifilm lens there. And then I've got a little portable hard drive, but with no cable. So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty useless. Useful as a reflector, maybe. Yeah. Although I have also just discovered that I have got a USB-A to USB-C cable in a packet which has never been opened. Yeah. So um, I don't actually know whether that would work. My bag, by the way, is is I was trying to, while, while you were talking, Kingsley, I was desperately trying to find the name of my bag somewhere. I can't find anywhere, but it's a low pro backpack. It's another low pro backpack. I have got two reflectors though, a couple mm -hmm. of, of, of varying sizes. So, so that's all right. Um, and then in terms of, um, I, I asked you, Kingsley, in terms of like whether you had anything for sentimental or superstitious reasons. I've got a couple of things in my bag which I've always carried with me. Um, the first one is um, this is from when I was photographing a wedding years and years ago somebody gave me um i think it was what they had one of those booths you know where people dress up um mm. you know and then they'd yeah. have their sort of picture taken yeah somebody gave me a comedy mustache a fake mustache <laughs> uh, which i wore for a little while and then i stuck it in the the top cover of my gadget bag so it's remained there ever since um and then the other thing which i'm now desperately trying to find where is it hang on oh there it is now this is this is for more for the uh, the visual purposes. Will have a look at this look. <laughs> this <laughs> this listeners is a a practical photography um, name badge with my name on it. I'm happy to point out. From uh, this is to remind me that I once used to work with this chap called Will Chung. So uh, <laughs> and this has been in my gadget bag. It's just moved from gadget bags to gadget bags. And for some right. reason, it just it just goes everywhere with me. Um, so there you go. So my little practical photography name badge, which has got to be I'm trying to think how long ago it was. We were on practical photography. Well, probably got to be about <laughs> 25 years, five years ago, I think. Anyway, so there we go. That's a whistle stop tour of my gadget bag. You're welcome to uh, you're welcome to challenge me with the. Uh, with any uh, any of the contents of my bag but it is desperately disorganized and i i do need to get my, myself together <laughs> clearly so um oh it was really interesting chaps i enjoyed i enjoyed hearing the details i need to get power banks and dymo labelers and and various cables to, and obviously uh, multi-tools so i can bring myself up to your to your guys standards hopefully everyone found that useful um we'd love to hear about your gadget bags uh, the best way to get in touch with us, uh, if you want to tell us about what the contents of your gadget bag are or is, and uh, and the and the uh, the stuff that you found interesting that we've just told you about, the best way to do that is on email, which is podcast at photographynews.co.uk. Let's answer some reader questions. And um, well, we'll start with a with a reader with some reader feedback, which happens to have a bit of uh, a question in it. And this comes from a chap called Philip Kluwer, who has emailed us before. So nice to hear from you again, Philip. And he said, I've just caught up with the Room 101 podcast, which was our last episode. Very entertaining, he says. Thank you. One thought about cheap tripods. Will, this is one of yours. You were you were ready to throw cheap tripods into Room 101. He says, Philip says, yes, they can be flimsy, but not everyone starting out can afford a pricey one. I think a point that was made while we talked about it. I still have the lightweight one I bought secondhand in the late 1970s, and I now use it for holding lights and flashes, etc. So if someone starts with a cheap one, it's a good idea to hold on to it and not put it in your room 101. Will, what do you well, reckon? Well, look, this is a matter of opinion, but um, maybe a tripod from the 70s is probably more stable than some of the the plastic things we see in retailers now but kind of the whole thing of the uh, room 101 is meant to be entertaining and, and provoke a response so <laughs> hey philip i'm really pleased it provoked a response indeed what, what can he i was, say 
Philip also agreed with me that we should put heavily HDR'd images into Room 101. I'd like to point out that he agreed with nothing that Kingsley said. <laughs> <laughs> or rather Not didn't comment on any of it. Or Not Dirtle Door, no. <laughs> <laughs> However, Philip did ask a question. On a related theme to his point about tripods, he said, although carbon fibre tripods are lighter to carry, doesn't that make them less stable than their metal equivalents? Kingsley, thoughts? Well, I guess, I mean, yeah, it's sort of from a from a scientific point of view, I think the most stable tripod is going to be the heavier tripod. We it, talked uh, about this earlier. You said this came down to the, diff the difference between rigidity and stability. So a, a, a carbon fibre tripod, if I remember correctly from what you were saying, will be will be rigid, but may not be as stable. Is that is that the point you were trying to make? Well, it, it's just it's just about the overall weight of it. I mean, in insofar as whatever's dragging it down towards the centre of the planet, the greater the weight is just going to make it more more stable. And I think but for me, I would rather have a, a kind of a, a lighter carbon fibre model. And then if I had to weigh it down, if it was windy or something then I, I i would take steps kind of on location to to weigh it down and what steps would you take uh well i mean there, there's usually a tripod will have a hook under the under the sort of e either on the bottom of the center column or kind of on the tripod collar and that means you can hang something off it and there, there are lots of solutions for these things a lot of people just hang their camera bag on it if the camera bag's got like a like a strap on the top of it you can hang that um some people buy kind of dedicated rock bags um mm. but you could just take kind of a tote bag and, and kind of fill it with stones from the location and kind of hang on and as long as that isn't in itself blowing around hitting the legs and making it less stable i mean ideally you you know you, you don't want to introduce more instability into the situation oh, indeed and and will do you do you share these views that that carbon fiber is inherently because they're lighter they are slightly less stable would you, would you agree with that i think you without you care and attention they can be a little more unstable and, and i think in strong winds also carbon fiber especially if you've got thinner legs can vibrate a bit more which could be an issue but the point is for me is that i'm more likely to have a carbon fiber tripod with me and having a tripod with me is having one is better than not having one so though alloy might be more stable in certain conditions, I'm happy to have a carbon fibre tripod. And to be fair, I haven't had any issues with mine. I, I, I do know when I reach a limit, though, because in very, very strong winds, um, any tripod is likely to wobble. And just on a tip front, if you need some tips, I've got two involving bits of string. I mean, one thing you can do with a bit of string is tie this, the string to the centre column. And basically, you have to fiddle around and measure, measure it a bit but basically tie a foothold at the base of it. So basically what you do is when you've got your tripod set up, you can put your foot into this whole foothold that you've made for yourself mm. and you put your weight down onto the tripod. Right, so, so it's like a stirrup. Is it like a stirrup, the sort of thing? Yeah, that you, yeah. that's good description. You basically got your weight down on the tripod and you're forcing all three legs to the ground. Mm. Actually, think about it, the bit of string also comes in useful if you tie it to a, a, a tripod plate, like the, for instance a Manfrotto tripod plate, which has got a, um, a little um, uh, hook on it. Mm. <clears throat> and what you can use is actually a, a makeshift um, monopod, if that makes sense. Because, for instance, I, I've used it in places like the one that I use it, I think, most, most notably was in New York's Grand Central Station, where you're not allowed to use tripods. And it's very low light in there. So I wanted some to take some pictures inside. So I had a bit of string to this tripod mount, put this tripod mount onto the base of the camera, screwed it in tight, had the string hanging down to my foot and basically had my foot on the string and I pulled up against it. Mm. So when, I, when you do that, you actually get a very stable platform for shootings, better than actually any IBIS system you can think of. So if you're really stuck and you want a kind of a very, very cheap way of, of supporting your camera and, and get a slow shutter speed, put a string, tripod mount, foot stirrup, and basically pull against the foot stirrup because you've got your yeah. foot and you get some very stable shots. Indeed. And I think you can, I've also, I have actually tried that and, and uh, you uh, it can actually work as well if you have it in, in more of a triangle. So, so you kind of have, you have it in a sort of like a big loop and then it passes between both. So you get your feet apart and then have it connected to the, to the, to the tripod uh, plate 
and then sort of make a triangle shape. So Excellent. good idea. Yeah. That works that works equally well. Kingsley, any string ideas that you'd like to throw in apart from making um, not, a vest? Not string, but something I have observed people doing, which is a bit unhelpful if they want stability from their tripod, is uh, one thing in high winds, like Will was saying, uh, the best thing is obviously is 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 to bring the tripod closer to the ground if possible. Mm. And another thing I've noticed some people doing is using like sometimes people will buy a new, they'll upgrade their tripod head without upgrading the legs and if you end up putting a very heavy tripod head on legs that won't support it then you can make it less stable mm -hmm. so like you know you, you could have like a really whizzy kind of posh uh ball head but if but if you know if, if, if it's on really kind of lightweight legs then it, it's kind of counterproductive indeed indeed good stuff okay let's move on to the last question which comes from a chap called dave bryson and he says, I'm amazed to hear how many gadget bags the podcast team own. Uh, we've talked about it today, in fact. I've only ever used a shoulder bag, replacing it every seven or eight years when it gets tired or zips break. I like a shoulder bag speed of access. But now as I'm getting a bit older, I'm considering a backpack to spread the load. Can the team suggest a good photo backpack that will allow me to get at my gear quickly? Now, I think the sticking point here dave is getting at your gear quickly because the the thing about putting a a, a backpack as uh, no doubt kingsley and i who um who both use photo backpacks quite regularly they're not the they're not the fastest thing for uh, getting your kit out will you get you get a lot of kit in um that that vanguard bag that you mentioned earlier um is that is that an option in terms of like rapid access or or do you have another idea well, I'm just thinking in, in terms of advice, Dave, it's a very difficult one because bags are very, very subjective. And certainly in my case, not, not subjective to, to, to me, but also in terms of what I'm shooting. So I often have different bags for different occasions. So if I'm doing a wildlife shoot, I'll have a bigger bag than probably, for instance, a street photography shoot. And that's why that's my excuse why I've got a room full of camera bags. Uh, but in, in terms of specific advice, Dave, I, I suggest you get along to, to a good photo retailer try some of the bags in there and see what fits because they're very, very personal things. And just to answer your question, Rog, the, the Vanguard, the one I'm, I'm testing is the one, that particular one is a rear uh, entry uh, bag, but in the same range, in, in the adapter range, they've got bags that are accessible from both sides. So what you, basically what you do is you, you, they're backpacks, but you take a, take the back off one bag off one shoulder, swing it around and you get at it straight away. And of course, basically it's behaving like a, a sling bag and sling bags are very popular and, and indeed actually shoulder bags if you wear them across your body you can use them as a sling bag and they're, they're good ways of working so Dave you might find actually going back to a shoulder bag but slung across your body as opposed to having on one shoulder might right. work for you no, it's a difficult one but it's a, it's a very personal thing what do you think guys Kingsley anything to add I mean there are like a lot of people certainly in recent times have tried to tackle that haven't they like so i know will was saying about the side access on those vanguard bags and there was a now help me out here rog i can remember you using one of these things it was a something revolver it was a revolt yes it was made by a, a camera bag manufacturer that no longer exists and i can't remember their name it wasn't Cata, was it? yeah i think it was Cata. Which was a which was a very like a, almost like a kind of a quite a fantastic contraption. It was, yeah. It had like a spinny thing in the middle where you kind of could you yeah. could kind of spin the compartment around, yeah. But I think so, I mean, yeah. Like I think Will touched on this, and it is, it is a little bit about thinking. Well, I don't know how how quickly do you need access to your camera? Maybe maybe yes, get a backpack, but also invest in an upgraded camera strap, which helps you carry your camera a little bit more comfortably like like one of these kind of neoprene slightly sprung ones which is a little mm. bit more comfortable but then I, I i would genuinely recommend i've got a slightly larger version of this um but there's a, a low pro flip side trek bag which has a system where what you do is you attach the belt it's got a built-in belt and you attach the belt mm. and then if you then swing it around the body you can then sort of like push it forward so it lies horizontally in front of you and it's supported and then you can get to your camera stuff i mean it, it doesn't like it's not a particularly elegant looking <laughs> way to get at your camera but it is a way if you don't or can't take the bag off and and they're really good bags well just one thing going back to the rotation idea i mean snapperstuff.com 
do one. It's a Mindshift Rotation 34L, and that's 165 quid. And basically, what in that particular bag, by look of the uh, the animation on their website, is that the bottom half of the compartment can swivel around, so it can be like a working platform as well. So it's a oh, backpack. Okay. You unzip the side and you swing it, swing it around. It looks great. I'm gonna have to get one into review actually. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a new bag, so we should test it definitely. Well, so they, they, it's on. There we go, Dave. There we go. So maybe hold fire, maybe for a month or so. Let Will get in the new uh, the new bag he's just mentioned there and see whether that's uh, that's suitable. He'll test it specifically for you. Um, so those two, thanks for that, chaps. Those two emails came into our email address, which is podcast at photographynews.co.uk. Um, if you've got any questions that you'd like us to answer, then please do uh, send them into that address. So um, we're, we're nearly done. I can see that Will's got an empty wine glass, so we uh, we better move on and get him. Uh, <laughs> let's get him topped up as soon as possible. <laughs> so, Will, to earn your second glass of wine, would you like to give us a Will's word of wisdom to see us out? S simple one, Roger. It's my second bottle. But anyway, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we couldn't tell. Anybody's been a photographer for any period of time would have got some memory cards and, and used a few and and moved on because you know memory card speed is getting faster and faster and the capacity is getting higher and higher. So I don't think I'm alone, but we're often updating our cards to get the latest ones for the best performance, which means there's loads of other ones left behind in our wake. So my tip basically on this podcast is all these cards are kicking around in your kitchen drawer, not doing anything. Put them in a little case and stash them around various places so that basically if you get caught short, i.e. you need more memory or you may have a, a card failure, which which can happen. Um, but basically, you've got a card around. So, you know, you could stash them in your handbag, straight man bag, in the top pocket of your favourite jacket, in the glove compartment of your car. You, you know, you can think of any number of places. But all these cards are kicking around, which you don't use anymore. You, have, you don't need them anymore because they're too slow or too too uh, low in terms of capacity. Find a use for them. Just stash them around places in your life and you know, it might help you out, it may help out a friend. You know, they're using a camera, for, they've got to put a card in because they're less able as a photographer than you, and you can help them by saying, here's a card. So, yeah, spread your cards, spread the spread love. Spread your cards around. Good good advice, Will. Thank you Thank you very much for that. That's excellent. And a and a fine way to, uh, to end this uh, latest episode of the Photography News podcast. So, without further ado, Will's got another bottle of wine that he wants to open. So, we better say <laughs> goodbye and thanks very much for your time, editor of Photography News, Mr. Will Chung. A pleasure as always, guys. Thanks, Will. And also, thank you also to contributing editor and owner of uh, Jerry Cans and Large Cars, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kingsley Singleton. Thanks, Kingsley. Thanks again. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, I've realised now I've got to put all this stuff back in my bag, which is a pain <laughs> yeah. thumb, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, it needed a tidy anyway, by the sounds of it, the amount of clutter you've got in it. There we go. All right. Well, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back again before too long. Cheers for now.